Every day of our lives is spent in the built environment. We live in homes and apartments, drive on roads, get gas from pipelines, go to work in buildings, make purchases in stores and restaurants. We rely on factories, plants, doctor's offices, and hospitals for our basic human needs. And while our world continues to shift and grow and change, the development and delivery of the built environment has fallen dramatically behind. Welcome to The Built Revolution. We're here to engage the leaders, visionaries, and innovators who are revolutionizing the built environment. This podcast is brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Hello and welcome. This is Kelsey Henderson, president of Continuum Advisory Group, and I'm here today with Kyle Mikrowski, senior project executive with Banner Health. Um, Kyle, your LinkedIn profile says that you have a passion for recognizing reality with others and bringing folks together to collectively improve our reality. Would you like to introduce yourself quickly and tell us a little bit more about what that means? Absolutely. Thank you, Kelsey. Uh, So I've been in this design and construction industry pretty much all my life. And for a long time, I did what a lot of folks do in this industry, and that's focus on the, the basics, the schedule, the budget, the scope of whatever project happened to be delivering, whether it was residential, commercial, healthcare, research, you name it. And over uh, a number of years, what I realized was those things, while important, are not what really is important. And we started uh, about 10 years ago, I started on this journey of really shifting my focus and my passion from the actual building or the project or the thing that we're making to the people and their experience of what took place during the creation and the building of whatever that particular project happened to be. And so since then, my journey has taken a very, very different direction. And it's been quite fascinating, enlightening, learned a lot, learned a lot of what I didn't know. And uh, it really does continue to reinforce every day that the most important aspect of what we do is the people who are involved. And so that's where my passion lies. Um, like you mentioned, I'm a senior project director with our uh, senior project executive, Banner Health. We're a 50,000 strong healthcare system based in Arizona. We have hospitals throughout multiple states in the Western United States. That's my day job. Uh, on the side, I uh, have been running a, a nonprofit organization for a number of years uh, to help drive some of the change that we'll talk about into the industry. And so the cross pollination between those two. Um, efforts is really what makes a difference in how we deliver our projects and helps me focus on that reality aspect of the people and their experience. Awesome. That's such an interesting perspective. And for this podcast, we're always on the lookout for people in our industry that are driving innovation. And so, you know, the reason that I asked you to join me and record an episode today is really, you know, like I, like you said, outside the realm of your day job and, and really more about what's going on uh, with the Capital Project Symposium. And so, I'd like for you to kind of tell us a little bit more about how that got started and just give us some background about that. Yeah, for sure. It was um, about eight, geez, eight years ago. Um, there were three of us having breakfast uh, at a little diner in Portland, Oregon. And uh, it was myself and two gentlemen from a, a project management company, contract project management company. And uh, they just, they, they were halfway through a billion dollar bond program. Uh, for school district, you know, K-12 school district. And here I am uh, working in the healthcare environment research at the teaching hospital there. And, and we're both talking about the challenges that our project managers faced on a day-to-day basis. And through that conversation, what, what came out was that, you know, the, the PMs who are, who are delivering K-12 renovations and high school expansions and that sort of thing, uh, they had a lot of the same problems that our healthcare and our, our research PMs had, right? You still had challenging clients. You had 
unrealistic expectations of budget and schedule. You had constantly changing dynamics of scope. You had constant politics coming in and out. You had change of people, both from an ancillary as well as a directive standpoint um, from the client side. So all these problems that that I thought were super specific and unique to my group were suddenly being echoed by this guy who's sharing them from a K-12 environment. And so we said, great, you know, maybe we should get these folks together because if they're dealing with the problems and my folks are dealing with the problems and they're the same problems and they're smart people, maybe smart people getting together and talking about similar challenges might be able to come, uh, overcome one or two of those challenges from time to time. So then we started brainstorming about where we could uh, send them to do this. And the third gentleman sitting with us said, you know, I don't think there's anything out there. I've been in this industry a long time. Why don't you guys just do that? And we said, do what? He says, why don't you get them all together? And so we thought, nah, that won't happen. And uh, fast forward about five months and we held our first uh, capital project symposium there in Oregon. We brought in about 120 people uh, for a day to literally just do that. Let's get some of the problems across verticals. So we had folks from high tech, we had folks from retail, we had folks from healthcare and K-12 and on and on. Uh, transportation, right? the airport came, the city came. And, and then we had some uh, industry partners as well, our contractors and architects. And we just brought them all together and said, hey, you know what? The reality is, is we're all dealing with a lot of the same problems, but we don't like to talk about them. So let's talk about them. And what amazed me from that first one was people were ready, willing, and able to talk about them. What they said was, this is fantastic. You know, we talk about all this stuff kind of in the dark corners and in the water cooler and outside, but we never actually talk about them together. And so we created this safe environment where people were able to actually talk about these things. And it was a, it was a crazy success, right? Did we solve anything? Not really. Um, but that wasn't our goal. Our goal wasn't to solve a problem. Our goal was to build those relationships, provide an environment where people could get together, not feel isolated, not feel alone, not feel like they're stupid or bad project managers because they're, they're dealing with what nobody else appears to be dealing with, but more of a sense of camaraderie and community that, Hey, you know what? We're all in this. We're all dealing with this stuff together. We are all in it together. Maybe we can work together. So that started, that was the very first one. I fast forward to where we are today and it's grown for sure. Um, but that, that's what started. And after that first one, you know, people asked, wow, that was a lot of work to pull this off. Uh, it took a lot of effort. You had volunteers. Are you going to do it again? And my first reaction was, of course, yes, we've got to do this again. But then I started talking to the folks, especially on my team, who went and said, guys, what, what do you think? Right? What, how, what was good about that? And they said, really, we got to breathe. We got to relax. We got to meet some people who do what we do. And we don't feel nearly as stressed out or, or um, you know, high tension or high anxiety day to day because we know that these other organizations and the people who do what we do and other organizations are in the same boat. So I feel better, right? And that's what shifted my mind quickly from stop worrying about the pieces and parts. And when people are saying that because of this experience we had, I feel better day in and day out. And that really said, okay, now we're responsible. We got to do this more. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, the there really isn't anything else quite like it. You see peer groups throughout the construction industry, but they're usually restricted to a certain market or a certain you know industry. Like there might be a peer group for contractors that work in the healthcare space. But seeing that across a variety of different sectors and and then identifying those common challenges, 
um, that really play across the whole range. I mean, I think that's it's really different from what we see um, forum wise in the industry. Absolutely. We, we looked hard. So I've, I've been involved in a variety of ways with, with COA, uh, Construction Owners Association of America. I've been with them for many, many years. Uh, I've, I've been to all kinds of you know, trade line conferences and LCI and so forth. And, and these are all very, very valuable organizations. And then even the local chapters, right, CII and so forth. They have local chapters, CMAA, and they bring good things to folks. And what we can you know, what we didn't want to do is be another conference, Right. Even one of our taglines last year for one of them, that's uh, not a conference. That was actually was one of the things that we used to advertise because it absolutely is not a conference. Um, those all those organizations I mentioned bring tremendous value. And we saw a gap uh, that wasn't being filled. And really, that's what we're trying to fill is, OK, so you get all the technical knowledge. And you see that very specific peer group knowledge when they come together and they talk about, again, the pieces, the parts and the things and the tools. But what we were missing, what we recognized was missing was where are the, the leadership, the management, the soft skills, the people side of our business? Where is that being addressed? And what we recognized was it's being addressed sporadically. So there's clearly a need to focus on it. So let's focus on it. Yeah, that's awesome. So. Is there anything specific that you do to create that sort of a safe environment for people to come together who, you know, could potentially even be competitors in some areas and to share openly? Oh, absolutely. So we've we've had these um, events. So we do two different types of events. Let me give a little context before we go too far. One of them is called Breakfast Clubs. So we've done these in, in Portland, uh, Denver, Phoenix, Houston, and what these are is about every couple months, we get about 30 to 50 people together and we take them through an hour and a half exercise, uh, some, some sort of exercise, whether it's about trust or vulnerability, or if it's about onboarding or if it's about change, it's some sort of experience that we do. It's a workshop for about an hour and a half breakfast club, obviously we do it in the morning. And these are the folks who really are trying to make a difference either where they work in their life and their organization and their projects. And we come together and they're all local. So we're doing one in Denver here in a few weeks and they'll be all local and there'll be competitors in the room. Um, you know, owners, architects, companies, you name it, anybody across the entire supply chain of our industry, all the way down to furniture dealers. I say down, right? So all the way downstream to the furniture dealers. So we'll get together every couple months and we'll do one of these things. And I, I refer to it as our, it's like an adrenaline shot or it's like a, a reinvigoration of, uh, I can do this. I can make a difference. I can make a change. I can influence people. Um, so, so it's that let's get the energy back up. Let's get the inspiration back up. So we do those every couple months, um, to keep the energy flowing. Now the larger event, uh, what we do annually, it's still local. So we've done it in Phoenix, Denver, Portland, and we're talking about uh, exploring doing one in Houston and San Francisco. What we do there is this is a two-day event, and we bring most of them are two-day events. And what we do is we bring people together, a couple hundred folks, again, mostly local. So here in Denver, we'll bring multiple healthcare systems and municipalities and uh, developers and K-12 districts. And, and of course, all the industry partners will join us as well. And they are all competitors. But we focused on those two-day events. We go through four stages. The first one is creating that safe environment. So we've got to get people to relax. We've got to get people to engage. We've got to get people to have fun. We've got to get people to just open themselves to start to participate. And one of the ways we do it is very simple is the name tags. You know, you go to a conference and sometimes 
sometimes you get so much information on a name tag and so many of those little flags, you kind of look like you're a, a third world general in the army, right? So well, what we do is your name tag is just your name. That's it. That's all your, that's all your name tag is. So you sit down and have breakfast and you're sitting down with eight or 10 or 12 people and they just have a name tag. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And it changes the dynamic so quickly because it's not, I'm so-and-so from this company and this is my title. Therefore, that is who I am. Instead, it's, my name is Kyle. What are you doing here? What are you looking for? What, what brings you here today? Right? Of course, you get into that where you come from and so forth, but that becomes secondary. So we start very subtly with, oh, you're Kelsey. I'm Kyle. Good to meet you. Right? We're right. just people. Immediately and we do things like that in, very intentionally to get folks into that safe environment. And then we go through the other three stages, which then we do a lot of self-evaluation, self-awareness, self-actualization, self-development. Right? So who am I? So we take groups through that. Then we move into how does that information, that knowledge now apply to other people? And then we move into application about how do we use this type of information and awareness and knowledge and apply it to our, ourselves, our industry, our business. So we're very intentional about making people feel comfortable and ready and willing to share. And once we've done a couple of these, so we've done this now six years in a row, and uh, coming up on our third one here in Denver, second one in Phoenix, um, what we find is after the first year, it gets really mm -hmm. easy because we get about 50% return on all of these. So about 50% of people have been to a past event. So immediately they come in knowing that, oh, this is going to be cool. I'm going to get to relax. I'm going to let my shirt, you know, my hair down. I'm going to participate. I'm going to engage. And just by doing that, we all know that emotions are contagious. So when some of the people around you suddenly are really loose and talking about stuff and, you know, the goofiness of their company and the silliness of this project, you just get sucked into that. And so that energy moves very, very quickly. Yeah. Very, very quickly to that safe environment. That's really cool. Yeah. So I know you guys, you know, you didn't start um, with the intent to try to solve all of the problems in the world, but over the years and, and throughout the course of this event, are there any specific exciting ideas or innovative solutions that you've seen come out of it? Absolutely. I mean, we hear uh, last year in Denver, and we're doing it again this year in Phoenix, is we're pulling people from the uh, community to give short presentations, you know, five, six minutes, but short little snippets into hey, I came to this event and then I went back and tried some stuff and here's what worked and here's what didn't work. And so that that invigorates people in the audience because they see one of them up front and they go, wow, hey, they work for the same type of company I do. I bet I could try that where I work. I'm going to go talk to them. And so some of the things that we've seen is focus or dedicated effort on not just training, but some of the self-awareness tools that we've used, like Strength Finders and Core Clarity. So we'll see people who come back and, and on RFPs for our work, they'll advertise or they'll tell us, hey, we actually brought in a facilitator. We've gone through this with everybody. Here's how we're starting to apply it. Oh, can you help us? Can we bring it to the project? So we'll, we've seen this, this shift from, hey, our company has delivered every project ever perfectly under budget, on time, and we're awesome, to here's who the people are that we're proposing on the project. Here's how they're hardwired. Here's what they're good at. Here's where they've got opportunity. So we're going to need some other people to complement in order to make a true team. So we've seen that. We've seen owners who have gone and actually moved from thou shall do X, Y, and Z to help me understand what you need from me as an owner to be successful, Mr. or Mrs. Architect. And so 
or contractor or trade partner. So we see a, a shift in attitude more than we see uh, a particular tool being used or applied. And that to me is the biggest impact. If if we can move that attitude from you work for me, I have the money, therefore do what I say, and when you screw up, it is all your fault. If we can continue to shift that attitude, that's where you start seeing some of the projects, especially in this current market environment, really become successful. Because people will go above and beyond when you treat them well. Yeah, that's so exciting. That's Each year, um, Consumer Advisory Group, my firm, produces the CURT, the Construction Users Roundtable Owner Trend Study. And last year's study, um, we were talking about, you know, just really high-level success stories and exciting innovations and that sort of thing on projects. And and each time we tried to drill down to, you know, what enabled this success? What set this particular project or program apart from others? And it always came back to relationships and uh, the interactions between the people. And so, you know, I think that's something that our industry has been slow to learn, but that, you know, there's just a lot of energy and a lot of excitement around that, around relationships and how we can do better work and be more productive and effective if we're building the right sorts of relationships. Absolutely. It's funny because we say trust and relationships and it's all about the people, right? These are great phrases and we've heard them from from many TED Talks and we see them on really inspirational things on LinkedIn and Facebook. And we all agree with it because no one's going to say, ah, relationships are not useful. You know, everyone's going to say they are. But then you take a few steps into it and you suddenly realize that, number one, most of us don't know how to do it anymore. As connected as we are in this world, we really struggle with relationships. We struggle with making those connections. We struggle with actually losing track of time with people. We struggle with genuinely connecting. We struggle with empathy, right? Especially in our get it done society, in our industry, right? Go, go, go. Fast, 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 right? Mm-hmm. I've uh, talked about one of the innovations. So many, many projects, once they get funded, immediately the question is, when are you going to get done? Where's the drawings? Let's go. Let me see some progress. And one huge innovation that we've seen is people actually go, time out. We're not going to draw anything for weeks or in some cases months because we're going to focus on each other, our relationships, our team, our purpose, our values, our behaviors, our engagement, right? All this stuff that has, from a funding standpoint, absolutely nothing to do with how we're going to spend money. And it drives some people within organizations absolutely crazy because here you are spending money getting 10 or 15 people together on a regular basis. And in their mind, they're not actually doing anything, right? Nothing tangible is coming out of all this time and effort. However, what you see get produced is some of that really cool stuff. You see relationships get formed. You see people being authentic and vulnerable with each other. You see shared values and behaviors come out. You see the development of a cohesive team that comes out of that effort. And so they're taking the tools, the the tools, they're taking the exercises that we take them through in these events. So I didn't say that before. You know, we take two people through two days. We'll have maybe a couple hours worth of speakers. The rest of the time, the attendees are doing the work. They're engaged in workshops in small breakout groups constantly, they do most of the work. It's hard, you can't get your email done if you come to one of our events. 
you just don't have time. <laughs> and so people take those exercises and they, they modify them or some of them take them verbatim and they take them back to their projects and they go, hey, we should do some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So whether or not it's innovative or it's just smart, um, <laughs> I'm not sure which one it is, but we see consistently now on projects, we're seeing people who say, time out, we need a couple of weeks to actually get to know who the heck's on this team mm-hmm. before we start actually doing work. Yeah. That early relationship building really is, I mean, you know, the most critical success factor. It is. And we take it for granted that we know how to do that. And the reality is, is we don't. As human beings, we don't know how to do that intentionally and with purpose. And so it takes time and it takes effort and sometimes it takes some help. Yeah. Well, now that I've shamelessly plugged the Kurt Owner Trends study, I want to shift gears for a minute and take just a moment to ask your opinion. Um, we're putting together the study for 2019 and starting some of the early research. There's a survey that'll be going out, I think, next week. Um, but next year's focus is all about innovation and specifically innovation as the driver of business results for owners. And so I'd like to you know, pick your brain and ask you a couple of questions um, it, going back to your role actually as an owner, um, but then also what you've heard from others throughout, you know, these events that you've been doing, what do you think owners do specifically that promotes innovation? That's a difficult question. I would put on my, my, take, take my, um, day job hat off and, and look at it from a, a COA board member perspective, look at it from, uh, the, you know, the ripple intent activities through the symposiums that we do. And I, I would actually, it would be easier to answer the question and say, what do owners do to prevent innovation? Um, <laughs> well, we can start that way. There was um, actually just a recent ENR article that was specifically talking about prefab and modularization, but it was talking about owner hesitancy. And really in general, you know, owners are considered to be fairly risk averse when it comes to innovative construction practices, especially in the U.S., and so, you know, let's let's take the reverse of the question. What is it that owners do that stifles innovation or prevents it? I think you have to look at the environment that, that most owners work within. And so most owners, and I'm talking in all industries across the, the industry, or all verticals across the industry, right? Whether uh, high tech or, or healthcare or K-12. You know, most, most of the folks who are running groups who are in charge of, of capital delivery, um, they're, they're secondary uh, to the, the purpose of the business, right? So they're not the primary means. They're viewed as a cost center, uh, definitely an expense. And so uh, the constant pressure of reducing cost, right? Oh, that's going to cost too much. Make that sport footage cost less, or let's negotiate the lease rate even lower, or you know, go beat up the architect. And so we, we are viewed as a as a um, expense and not a value add. Now, some organizations have really tried to make that, that shift, that you're actually adding value through the built environment, and I applaud all those folks who continue to try to advocate for that. The reality is, is when you look at the books, right, the work that we do is simply that, and it's an expense. And so because of that, innovation often requires some sort of investment, whether it's time, or money, or, or both. You need some sort of breath. You need some sort of room to actually create that. And so what I hear across most of my peers uh, nationwide is that we're all currently, uh, the economy's got us overworked. Um, everybody has is, is got a very, very busy capital program at the moment. 
Uh, there's lots of work going on. Of course, the workforce is low. And so usually when, when times get this busy, the opportunity to try some new stuff, i.e. innovate, uh, goes down dramatically. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't, but because we're an expense, right, we're a cost center, what that also does is when you say, I'm going to try something different on a project, I'm not quite sure if it's going to work or not, right, i.e. innovate, um, it depends how well the culture of the larger organization embraces mistakes, failure, or how they learn. And so I think this is where this is where we get into the prevention mode, right? So you're in a situation where you're judged on a regular basis on how much you can beat the market, right? I.e., what you can procure for less. Can you build it for less than we did last time? Can you do it faster than we did last time? And so you're already setting up a competitive environment. Then you're rewarded when you go back and say, well, I negotiated with the architect and I cut their fee by 1%. And people applaud and you get the thumbs up in the wink and then, hey, that's good leadership. So internally, you're rewarded to protect the resources from the evildoer industry partners. <laughs> that does not create an innovative environment. It almost puts you at odds right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And so then you get some good PMs who, deeper in the organization, they, they still have that, that inspiration or that, that altruistic attitude you know, I'm going to get on my unicorn, and we are going to do something different this time. And if you have a good manager or a good director or somebody who's helping shield from the larger organization's culture, then you can actually start to innovate. But it's almost like a revolution, right? It's almost like, I, I got to do this in the basement of a hotel somewhere at night, you know, cloak and dagger. <laughs> yeah. Right? You can't simply step forward and go, you know what? We're going to do it different this time. It might fail. I don't know too many CEOs, COOs, or leaders or organizations say, hey, great, you know, we're going to tackle this multi-million project, and you might screw it up because you're going to try something new. I'm behind you. There are very few people out there who will say that. There are people out there who will say that, and that does help create an environment of innovation. But 99 out of 100 are not going to do that because, of course, they'll get in trouble. If of course. Screw it up, right? So that's one of the biggest challenges that we have, and that's... That's not just our industry. That's that's the entire American state of the industry, right? The the workforce across the country. This this is the same in, in uh, schools. This is the same in healthcare. This is the same in, in high tech. There's not a lot of room for error in the, in our day jobs. Yeah, it's an interesting problem. You know, how do we begin to change that mindset and um shift to a mindset of, of seeing, you know, failure as a learning opportunity is, you know, that's our research and development investment right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what you just said, so <clears throat> what innovations or, or what do you want to see the promote innovation is can we on projects, can we take a stand though we are going to do it differently? And here's what I'm going to need and here's what we're going to try and we're going to measure it along the way to make sure that things are going well or not going well and we'll adjust. I've seen that. We've done that. Yeah. We've heard other projects that have done that. And that works pretty well because you take kind of a, a middle of the ground approach. Right? So owners. Well, uh, we need different. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say we need different measurements as well. I mean, we can't keep using the same ruler to measure a new idea. So I, I shared this uh, the other day uh, with a group. And I, I still believe it. I believe that, that one day when we say, how is this project, how is this capital project going to be successful? Um, 
let's say it's a, a multi-year, multi-million dollar project, how will it be successful? Well, we'll measure it in a couple different ways. Of course, we'll measure, you know, was it on budget? Did we deliver it on time? Um, what was the collective decrease in blood pressure of all the project member members, right? Or the collective <laughs> I would weight love loss, that. Or, or what was our average daily number of smiles, right? So you want to talk about changing the metrics. Those metrics, think about how impactful that would be, not just to the project, but to the people that those people interact with every single day, whether it's at work, on the way home in the grocery store, the gas station, or their family. I love that average daily number of smiles. I'm going to start writing that into the conditions of satisfaction. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Why not? Why not? Why, why can't we go down that path? Why can't we say that people's personal health and well-being is just as important to delivering the building on time and on budget? Yeah. How many times we've heard story after story after story of people who've had They've had weight losses or, or they've had weight gain issues. They've had heart issues. They've had diabetes issues. We've seen people burn out. We've seen people break down mentally because of the stress and the pressure of these types of projects. We've seen people do 18-hour days. They get it done, right? And then we celebrate that. We go, hey, good for you for sacrificing your body, your family, your mental health, your physical health because we got a stupid building done. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yet we do it over and over and over and then we celebrate it. And then we celebrate it at the expense of human beings. It's terrible. So yes, we got to change the metric. Yeah, absolutely. So are you familiar with operating system 2.0, the, the CII's manifesto for change that was recently drafted and released? Yes, I was able to uh, take a look at it not too long ago. So I think, you know, there are some similar sentiments involved in that, for, you know, based on what you've been saying about the need for change and the need for different metrics. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you think that our industry needs something like a manifesto for change? You were talking just a moment ago about, you know, it almost feels like you have to go um, do different things after hours in a basement hiding. <laughs> <laughs> Everything helps. You know, COA has come out with the COA way. CII with the manifesto. I mean, all of these things help, right? Because inevitably, if we go back to that scenario where we're, we're, we're cost centers or we're expense centers or we're, we're second class citizens within the larger organization, these type of things give all of us in the position of trying to run these teams and these programs support and stability when we say, look, we are trying to move the needle. We're trying to do things better. We are trying to get things done faster and cheaper, for sure. We're trying to do those things. And look, these types of documents, these types of efforts, these types of, of larger industry-driven organization initiatives help us when we say we need time, we need investment, we need forgiveness, we need grace, right? We need these things. And if you really want stuff to change, if you really want us to be better at our job, this is what the larger groups, this is what the larger companies, this is what the smaller companies, right? these are what the industry is telling us we need to focus on. So the more of that that we can be armed with, the easier that revolution fight becomes. Yeah, that makes sense. So you talked a little bit earlier about, um, and then just now about COA as well, about various organizations. And I know what you guys are doing is is different. It's not another conference you know, like you said, you don't have time to sit in the back of the room and check your email. But on that note, if, you know, of all the different organizations that you've been involved with over the year, what do you feel like you get the most value out of? Like if you had to pick two conferences per year to go to, what would the two most 
impactful be? What would you recommend? From an owner standpoint? Yeah. Well, of course, ours. <laughs> in addition to yours, <laughs> in addition to conference room. Absolutely. I mean, hands down, COA is by far the, the best uh, from a pure owner standpoint. If you're an owner PM or you're on a group of PMs within an owner organization, COA provides the most value. It gets you around people who do what you do. And uh, the movement and belief of there is a, a way to truly be a partner as an owner in the projects that we deliver, they deliver that. So, COA, hands down, is, is one of the best. And then, frankly, um, you know, from the other ones that provide um, the different tools and the different exposures and stuff, it really depends what you're in, but kind of rotate through a few. You know, LCI provides a great forum. They bring a lot of people together and you hear a lot of good stories. Um, you know, that's one of those that you would go through every so often. Same with the CMAA organization. Um, they both provide great content. They have great um, presenters and they have a good format. So between those two, go bounce back and forth between those two. Um, so yeah, COA, TMA, LCI, all good, all good stuff. Awesome. So are there any kind of outside of our industry resources that you look to? Are there you know other industries that you look at for innovative ideas or um, other forums or or even literature that you would recommend? <laughs> Absolutely. I get asked a lot when, when people hear me chat about this stuff. They, they often get asked, you know, oh, I'd love to see your reading list. You know, what's your book list? Um, you know, there's a lot of folks in the healthcare who are trying to change healthcare, right? Uh, from a pharmaceutical standpoint, from a delivery standpoint, from a physician and payer mix. So there's there's groups out there that are tackling the same thing, right? So, so construction and, and healthcare and education are all on that bottom end of the productivity curve, right? All the good stuff is over on the right and great, we're over here on the left, right? We're all there. So when you start talking to and looking at folks in, in education and what they're trying to do, right? There's some really good organizations out there who are really trying to shift public school system. Um, so you're digging, in, digging into that industry and what are they trying to do and what can we learn from them? And then of course from healthcare. And it's not the incremental stuff and it's certainly not the the Amazon, Berkshire, Hathaway, you know, monster. It's the stuff in the middle. It's the people that are doing the little things about how do we actually shift and provide healthcare in the home as opposed to at the doctor's office, right? When you talk to those folks and you start on, you know, peeling back the onion of what it is they're trying to do and why, it, it, there isn't too much of the onion. It's like, no, actually, this is pretty simple stuff, right? Someone's sick, let's get them well. And then you start looking at, uh, I start looking at a third industry, which is the whole wellness industry which is still absolutely fascinating to me. And so a lot of good material out there, there's a lot of good people out there who are tackling the wellness industry. And what I mean by the wellness industry is, so in a lot of organizations, you have a wellness program, which if you go and get your, your BMI measured and you go get your blood pressure measured and you answer a few questions, you get 10 bucks off your insurance premium a month for the year, right? Boxes checked, yay. I'm talking more about the more potent. So that industry is really fascinating. And there's some really good folks who are trying to, to take that industry and shift it to some of the things I was mentioning before. Right? They're looking at a more holistic approach to mental health, physical health, spiritual health, holistic health. Because we know, and they've proven, that people who are healthy in those aspects of their own physical being, their own mental being, spiritual being, that they are a different person. Their engagement is higher. Their productivity is higher. What they provide. And, of course, the chance for innovation is higher. And so those three industries and what people are trying to tackle on those to me are some of the most fascinating conversations that I have on a, on a weekly basis. 
And you got to go find them. You got to go search them out. But they're out there, and there's some really good people who are trying to make a big difference in a lot of those areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are. I mean, there's. We recently recorded a podcast with Brent Darnell, who's been doing emotional intelligence coaching in the construction mm-hmm. industry for 20 years now, uh, which is just you know fascinating. It's it's fascinating to me that um, that he's able to drive change in the industry currently. And 20 years ago, it, it you know blows my mind that he was able to uh, build a business in our industry because there is such a lack of awareness of that sort of a resource and. I think there's so much that we can learn uh, from looking at that and from other Absolutely. areas of wellness. And said. Brent's a, a great guy. I've heard him speak many times. And another one that you interviewed too, that a good friend of mine, Rex Miller, he's done fantastic work looking at our industry and the wellness industry and the education industry. So he's dabbled in all of those that I mentioned, but no more than dabbled. He's, he's heavily invested, written multiple books about these things. And that's where you can draw a lot of inspiration because, again, most innovation is not earth-shattering, right? It's not the electric car. It's funny when you ask people, hey, what do you want? Tell me something innovative you did last year. Like, oh, you know, I, I, I can't innovate anything. No, that's like inventing the electric car. And then you ask other people, what would you do as innovative? I'm like, oh, well, you know, I reorganized my desk and I'm getting a lot more done. So people's perception of that word <laughs> itself is so widely ranging that you get it out there and suddenly oh, that's a great point that's when you're finding you got about 20 more minutes a day because of that simple simple piece fantastic fantastic celebrate it right yeah absolutely so um i want to kind of you know wrap up and just see i want to make sure that you've got a chance to tell people how to get involved in the capital project symposium and share some upcoming events but before we do that do you have any other closing thoughts is there any other advice that you would give, you know, specifically if you're thinking of maybe a, a young leader in our industry who might be listening to this, how can they drive innovation? What can what can individuals do to help further this cause? So if we go all the way back to your first question about my note on LinkedIn about reality, mm-hmm. um, first of all, it is reality when you sit in your work when you participate in phone calls when you're in meetings and you look around and you go i can't believe this is my reality the reality is it is your reality so so the advice being is number one raise your hand if you speak up number three you're not alone right it's confusing it's goofy it can be silly it can be frustrating it can be toxic it could be really positive and so all i can say is you're not alone you're not crazy There's a lot of folks out there who are seeing the exact same thing you are. And when you step forward and go, hey, I got a question or I got an observation or I, 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 something's just not feeling right. When you step forward with that courage, nine times out of 10, there will be a whole bunch of people that go, I'm so glad you said something because I'm feeling the exact same way. And that'll open a whole different stream of dialogue. And if it's with your project team or your business unit or your company or your boss or Somebody through one of our events or somebody through LinkedIn that you don't even know and go, hey, I just need to bounce this off of you. You will be surprised how willing people are to share. They will A, validate your observation and B, they will talk to you and they will listen and they will help you realize that you can make a huge difference in this really goofy screwed up industry of ours. So remember (laughs) that. Connect with folks. You're not alone and we can make a difference together. 
That's awesome. That's awesome advice. Take risks, uh, be vulnerable and count the average daily number of smiles. There you go. <laughs> awesome. So tell us how can people get involved um, with the Capital Project Symposium? What are the next upcoming events and how do they find out more information? So the easiest thing to do is we have a website. It's rippleintent.org, R-I-P-P-L-E-I-N-T-E-N-T.org. Uh, we've got an upcoming two-day symposium in Phoenix at the end of November. We've got an upcoming symposium in January, end of January, here in Denver, uh, where I'm based. And then we have a number of other smaller events, those breakfast clubs I mentioned, that, that kind of happen sporadically throughout every couple months or so. But by far, that's the easiest way. Or, of course, you can contact me directly and just ask me. Uh, reach out to me via LinkedIn or phone call, text, email, smoke signals. I'm good. Um, you can tell I really love talking <laughs> about this stuff. And so I'm happy to, to provide any more information or details that people are looking for. But the website and LinkedIn, uh, personal contact info, all of those wide open to uh, get you more information. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm hoping to be able to attend in Phoenix, actually. I, I happen to already be in Arizona earlier that week. Fantastic. It'd be great to have you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today and for sharing your ideas. I think uh, there's a lot that people can take away and learn from this. And there's you know, obviously a long way to go with improving our industry. But I think the work that you're doing is a phenomenal start. And I'm hopeful that you know, as a result of this podcast, we'll have more people to engage with. I appreciate that, Kelsey. I appreciate the time today, too. Thank you for having me be a part of your efforts. Thanks for listening to the Built Revolution pod brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Continue the conversation on Twitter at Built Revolution Pod or email us at hello at builtrevolutionpod.com. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals being interviewed, and they do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsoring organizations.